Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie, joined alongside, as always, by the loyal, the faithful Matt Burden, our producer, who takes care of all the ins and outs. Uh, this weekend, I think he was uh, taking care of a, some uh, concert sounds. Uh, what was going on out there? Uh, oh, yeah, did it yeah. Did impress you much? Yeah, it impressed me a ton. Um, but yeah, I just have three words. Let's go, girls. Um, you know, Shania Twain, she was uh, a queen. I mean, she she's a queen, man, a living legend. Uh, and we actually had some had some pretty good seats. That's one of the best seats I've ever had at a concert. And she pulled out the the leopard or cheetah print pajamas that she wore in that music video, dude. Uh, yes, is all I have to say. Yes, yes, Queen. That whole business. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. There you go. There you go. Uh, and then we're joined by a surprising return: the man of the hour, the man everyone's been wanting to hear from, the founder. The original keyhole champion back to defend his championship and his title. <laughs> uh, Brady, you all know him. You all love him. Man, what's it like to be back here now that you're free of uh, the Red Scare? Back? I thought we were going to look forward to the Baylor game in 2021. That was, that's, where I, that's where I last left my lovelies. <laughs> I think the last podcast that we did was the day after Lincoln Riley was dealing with something and missed his press conference. And they talked to whoever the hell that one dude was there. His hangers on. Oh yeah. Coach Simmons. Dennis Simmons. Dennis Simmons. Oh yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the media was like. Like we have nothing to ask you, Dennis. <laughs> uh, where is Dennis? First question. Where's coach Riley? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where is he? Yeah. <laughs> Second question. Why? Yeah. I'm still looking for him. And, uh, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody involved in that investigation. But yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, um, it's going to be fun getting back into it. And to all the patrons that have been on since I was on, you know, hello, everybody. Good to see you all. Hopefully I get to hear from you all on the page over the next few, however long this can go. Um, and to the new ones, I'm so sorry if... <laughs> If um if you don't know who I am, I don't blame you. But uh, if you have absolutely no idea who I am, I'll just apologize ahead of time. But it's good to be back on the crazy train. Good intro. So everyone who uh, isn't aware, Brady's back full time with us at this point in time with the through the keyhole on the Patreon on the public podcast. Coming it's because back I got to... fired, by the way. I was well, that's not I was well fired from OU. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, the shackles have been released. Uh, I'm. Muzzle almost removed, <laughs> but we're here to have fun here. Talk about OU football, OU program uh, as we go along the way. Um, let's let's go ahead and jump into this stuff, uh, Brady. Um, and we're, guys, I'm sorry about this. I'm, I'm a little off the rails. Alan will be joining us shortly. Uh, stuff, some stuff popped up, but we're, we went ahead and started. He's going to jump in. But let's talk about the SEC spring meetings. And we'll also sprinkle in some Big 12 because we're kind of in limbo. Need to kind of keep track of both sides. The SEC says they're going to stay at eight games, um, removed, obviously removing divisions, but staying at eight conference games. Um, there was a lot of talk that they were going to go to nine, uh, do the three uh, three permanents, and then the six rotating. Um, it does seem very last second that Nick Saban <laughs> realized who his protected three would be, and now they're staying at eight. Uh, if you're so, you know, if you can rattle the cage that much, go for it. I guess, you know, if you're a little bit like Deion Sanders wanting to go take Colorado into the Big 12. I guess you got that pull. Uh, but SEC's staying at um, at eight games at this point in time. 
with what seems to be a one protected rival uh, for OU that's almost assuredly at 99.99% will be Texas, and then uh, seven rotating games to kind of walk through everyone at that point in time. Brady, you and I talked many a time at OU football games and, and at tailgates. The idea that we're just tired of playing Iowa State and Kansas State and these teams and Texas Tech, and it's like OU is their Super Bowl. OU is everything they've built up for, and it's like, I'm just getting tired of this. I want to face other teams with you know s- similar significant historical value, so it's not like they're just punching up the entire time. Is this is is the eight game one seven enough for you, or is it just a change of scenery? Scenery is, is all that you really needed. Yeah, I, th- I just think it's a change of scenery. I mean, to be honest, um, I don't think. I mean, unless I've completely read this wrong, I think that to th- to believe that this is going to be the way it's going to go for the next five to ten years, like the SEC is going to tinker with the schedule. They they had to have a schedule for twenty twenty four. There are so many parts moving in and out that. Um, had just got put, you know, ink to paper just a few months ago when OU and Texas finally were able to officially say, yeah, we can we can leave the Big 12 a year early. So I don't expect really anything to be solid. This is the way it's going to go um, once we get all the way to 2024. So to me, it's just aesthetic differences. And whatever the schedule may be, and I've seen some like rumors suggest that here is OU's conference schedule for 2024 um and and some of them if not all of them that i've seen look very very hard right now as it stands you know 2023 um coming off of a six and seven season but to me it's just we're gonna have to get used to it some way somehow um ou has made their history by um changing conferences um i mean obviously not as much in the last 30 or 40 years but um in the early days, they switched conferences. They were in the Southwest Conference. They were in the Missouri Valley Conference, Big 7, Big 8, Big 12. Um, they have always adapted to whatever the changing landscape of college football has been. They have adapted. Um, and so I have no reason to believe that, oh, you can't do that with this um, upcoming conference schedule. So um, it's going to take some time, of course, but that's kind of the beauty of it um, with Brent's recruiting, with everything kind of going in what seems like a positive upward direction. Um, you kind of will just go into whatever 2024 schedule is and just kind of go, you know what, it, it, it's not Iowa State. It's not Texas Tech. It's not all these teams that you said, Peyton, that are just like we played them a, you know, a handful of times and the old big eight schools, we played them for over 100 years. And it, it does kind of make me a little sad that we're walking away from a 100-year history, uh, but it's for the betterment of the program. And quite frankly, those programs just – don't do anything for us except whenever they occasionally beat us, they commit property damage on their own field. So, um, you know, it'll be fun. It's going to be fun to play, you know, insert SEC school here uh, for the first time or, you know, Alabama, we played them a handful of times. So it's going to be difficult, but it's nothing you can't overcome. Yeah. Th- for the program, yeah, obviously it's fantastic for the program, but I- I'm just trying to think back this home, the home game schedule and, you know, just early on, they said they'd revisit this in a couple of years, uh, somewhere down the line of revisiting the nine game. I get not wanting to change it. You have OU and Texas coming in. You have the expanded playoffs all kind of happening at once. You're not really for sure what's all happening. So I understand taking it step by step. But just from like the home stadium, home environment, when OU has an SEC team coming in for a conference, the one seven to me is somewhat problematic because, you know, the Big Ten, the SEC, they, you know, the power two, so to speak, while they do have great schools at the top, they still have a lot of shitty teams in there. <laughs> you know, OU could have a home slate because Texas is neutral, obviously. Could have a conference home slate of uh, Arkansas, Vandy, and Kentucky. And it's like, and is that really that much better than Kansas State, Iowa State, you know, stuff like that at that point in time when you're playing those types of schools? Or is it just this new rowdy found fan base that's coming in? I mean, Matt, you, 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 you guys broadcast from... Um, uh, you know, at, on stadium during the home game stuff or, or right outside. Is it, do you think it will be different seeing just the amount of people being there and these different fan bases being there from the SEC? And do you think, you know, OU's kind of, no OU slash Norman is ready for that type of environment? I, I do. For me, I think part of it is like you're talking about Iowa State, 
not Kansas State recently, um, but, you know, most of these schools, for the better part of my lifetime, have just come to Norman to get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> like, it, like, it just feels like that sometimes, right? It's like to just get beat. So it's like they're coming there like, yeah, you know, well, yeah, here's a loss. So they're not really fired up to do that. But I feel like once, you know, that move to the SEC comes – uh, you know, if you get an Ole Miss and or Mississippi State, whatever, they're gonna be fired up, ready to go. Because, I mean, in in their mind, they're like, yeah, we play Bama every year, Georgia every other, whatever it is. Like, we're not afraid to like come in, come into any any place. It doesn't matter. Whereas, like, I feel like the the teams that are playing the Big Twelve now, it's like, well, hopefully, steal one. Like, hope hope we can steal one maybe from OU. It's just like it's kind of like a, a guaranteed loss at OU. Matt, at show some, some respect. Yeah, no, I'm just show saying. Some respect. I, Matt Camp Matt Campbell played OU close a handful of times. Okay? He did. He really did. He really did. <laughs> and they beat Baker Mayfield one time, right? They, oh yeah, they beat Baker Mayfield one time. So uh, that was really cool. That was really cool. But no, for me, it's just going to be good to just get. I don't know a new and I guess to me being a younger I say younger I turned 30 this year um but as far as like all I've known from OU football like my first like vivid memory of OU football is them winning the national title in 2000 so that's my first like vivid like that's burned into my brain as my first memory of OU football so I all I've known is then on and you know, sorry, Brady, uh, but, you know, the, the Bob Stoops, you know, so if, if any of our new patrons don't know, you, you know, don't know Brady. Uh, you can sorry. refer to the archives if you yeah, want to. Right. You can refer to the archives. Um, but yeah, it's, it was kind of a fortress under Bob Stoops uh, Memorial Stadium was. So, man, I don't know. I'm just, I'm ready for some, some new blood because that, that's kind of my thing. I was just like, it just got a little too, um, Content is content the right word? It got a little, it got a little stagnant, dry and stagnant. Uh, the Big 12 did so. Uh, some new, maybe some new, uh, refreshing new opponents might might be good for uh, for OU and the fan base. No, it, it got to a point where, um, I mean, and the best example has just been over the last handful of years under Lincoln Riley, where OU is a juggernaut, at least offensively. They've got Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, they've got all these record breaking skill position players. And yet you see how far it can take you. And a lot of that, you know, not just not just OU's lack of having a defensive identity whatsoever. A lot of that just kind of can be contributed to or attributed to the conference, just not preparing OU for what actually it takes to win a playoff game and to win a national championship game. Because the Big 12, if you want to talk about coaching and schemes, put them up there with just about anybody because they've had to out scheme people out of necessity because they don't get the talent that the mid-tier, even some of the bottom tier of the SEC get um, out of high school. And so I think one of the biggest things, and Peyton, the last thing you you asked was just like, well, I mean, what really is the difference between playing like Arkansas, Vanderbilt, and these teams against, you know, other schools in the Big 12? And it's like, yeah, we can argue all day about is Arkansas better than Oklahoma State, Iowa State, you know, whatever. Uh, the answer being no, because they suck. But um, the problem, <laughs> the problem is, uh, is just uh, the optics. Kids watching um, football, trying to play football in college, they care about a game between Arkansas and somebody else as opposed to Oklahoma and Kansas State. Even though Kansas State won the Big 12, even though Kansas State's been a thorn in OU side over the last handful of years, nobody gives a damn about that game outside of the state of Oklahoma and Kansas. But if Oklahoma's playing Arkansas, if they're playing at Vanderbilt – in that part of the country, you can, you know, bet your ass that a lot of great and highly talented football players are going to be watching and paying attention. And that will just do well for the program and Brent Venables moving forward. Well, now that we got Alan joining us, Alan, I want to ask you about the eight versus nine on the game schedule. We, we, we've touched on it a little bit on our side, just talking about the excitement that a fan base should have or the program should have. But, um, if I remember right, you're kind of on Twitter. Um, I was talking to Red Dirt about it. He said he was very much so fine with the eight games. Uh, but I think you and I lean more towards wanting to have the nine-game schedule and think that's a, a better, a compelling uh, TV product for uh, fans at this point in time, potentially. Um, it does seem like, I mean, SEC is staying eight games for this point in time. 
Do you see any pitfalls of, of the eight-game schedule that OU fan base or maybe college football might not be seeing so far um, if we continue to stay at this eight games of increasing that ninth game uh, potential extra revenue, which I'm assuming didn't happen. That's why they're not playing nine. I'm not for sure. I don't have, don't have the contract in front of me. Uh, but what are your general thoughts of the eight versus nine? Well, you know, this is kind of the part of SEC life that I really don't like, which is, look, there is an uh, there is an advantage to playing eight conference games. There just is, right? It's one fewer loss on everybody's record. The playoff committee clearly advantages t- uh, conferences that play eight games because of that, right? I mean, everybody picks up an extra body bag game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's that's big, but it's not fun. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, especially when you go to sixteen teams, man. That is so like they're just so few teams that you end up are going to be ending up seeing, especially you know with eight games. Um, and then the idea, you know, that you're going to try to hold like a conference title game with no divisions, <laughs> playing the with so teams seeing so few opponents, uh, like that. It's just to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think this will be a long-term thing though. I mean, to me, this just feels like a, you know, an interim type situation. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it's, you know, if it's one year, whatever, that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I, it, if it's for a longer term, I mean, I start to feel like that's a, a kind of a bait and switch in the sense that if OU is only going to end up playing, you know, may, let's say OU play definitely picks up one FCS game, you know, then you've got maybe two group of five games, maybe a power five at some point. And then, you know, some years with OU having the uh, uh, neutral side game there in Dallas uh, every year, you know, you might only have three conference home games with uh, with eight games like that just isn't enough, you know. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, these conference home games, which uh, I was reading uh, about the uh, uh, city of Dallas contract for the Red River shootout. Uh, Texas and OU gets, uh, I think, half a million dollars each for that. Uh, but OU pulls in usually north of $5 million for home games. <laughs> so, I mean, it just really helps the program the more home games you have. Uh, but let's talk about some of that, too. Do you think SEC, that SEC scheduling style is going to infect, quote-unquote, the University of Oklahoma? And, Brady, I want to ask you about this because you're very much so you know defending the history of Oklahoma. Uh, what's going to happen if, we're, if OU's playing uh, – Arkansas State and Sam Houston State in the same season, you know, if they start adding these body bag games, uh, like what many, many, many of the SEC teams do uh, that we see nowadays. There I go. I do the old man thing and don't hit mute. Oh, man. Or unmute. Um, It's rusty. (laughs) I think, um, obviously, if they were to do that, it would be a characteristic to the last 25, 30 years of their scheduling. So it would be, you know, like, I don't know if that's been written down somewhere, if Joe Stiglione himself has said like, yeah, we're going to go a little bit softer and don't look forward to like road games at Columbus or Notre Dame anymore. Like we have had in the last decade, but um, it would just be different. It would make a lot of sense. I think fans would understand, but I mean, like Alan said, if you're only going to have three conference home games, um, I mean, the fans who watch every single game on TV won't care as much because it's nothing different to them. Uh, but the fans that pay all the money to go to the games uh, will have a little bit to say because a lot of this move um, has just been like we've already kind of hammered out already. Just um, the Big 12 got stagnant for OU fans. It's not fun. It's not really a fun game day experience when you have Texas Tech bring a thousand to three thousand fans and you can be anywhere on campus and maybe see like a handful of opposing fans like that's not fun. But, you know, Mississippi State, you know, they'll come to Norman. And they have they don't have a program to write home about, but they're going to bring the entire region of Starksville and that part of Mississippi to Oklahoma. So it's going to be a different experience. Um, But like Alan said, if there's only going to be three conference games at home, that's going to really uh, keep OU's athletic department in the gear of we need to take care of our fans because that's, that's what they've been trying to do the last handful of years. I mean, shout out red dirt sport. You know, we just wanted to play Nebraska at night, um, putting out statements of like, we're sorry, OU fans that this is at 11. Like that, that tells me that they're going to still try and make things interesting. And one FCS game or one like low level game, that's fine. Everybody wants to tune up, 
Um, but I, I don't see why it can't be that difficult to find a group of five te- uh, state of Texas school. Cause at least, you know, if it's somewhere in Southeast Texas, if it's somewhere around that area, you can kind of like tell yourself, well, it's good for recruiting. Cause you know, there's like five players that we're trying to recruit in that region. So um, maybe L everybody's favorite Tulane, what are they doing? You know, like a school like that, I don't see why that shouldn't be like also a little bit exciting for OU fans and the diehards that care about recruiting. Well, luckily for I mean OU fans, think he did say um, SEC com- uh, commissioner did he did say I think there's like an expectation that one of these games will be scheduled against a, um, a Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, a different conference. I'm blanking on uh, <laughs> the team. Uh, you know, at least like buff this up so you can't just do a bunch of tomato cans, uh, kind of walking through looking at I believe Georgia's schedule this year is just it's just like a bunch of tomato, and that's partly because S- the SEC, I mean, not partly. Because of the SEC move, OU and Georgia had to cancel that game. Oh, please! Uh, it would God. still be it would still it would still be <laughs> trash for Georgia that schedule, even if OU was on it. It'd just be more fun. Uh, but that that your last seg- your last point gave me a nice little segue. We'll skip uh, skip around a little bit. Uh, OU um, has uh, there's some game times released. Uh, the season opener uh, against, against Arkansas State will be 11 a.m. and then their final conference game against CCU on Black Friday will also be 11 a.m. So you know, congratulations, the Big 12 is really trying to make sure or or you know however it all works out. OU's playing these 11 ga- 11 a.m. games it does not seem to be any way shape or form out of it. Um, Alan, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, I, I I don't surely, obviously, this is like the draft, and these teams have to get drafted to, to be put on to these TV slots at this point in time. Um, it, do you think this is the last draw for 11 a.m. Uh, barring you know uh, uh, the Texas game uh, moving forward? Oh no, I mean, it's never going to be the case though. You won't have some of these you know 11 a.m. kickoffs, um, but. You know, what ended up happening, I think, was so much of the Big 12's, I guess, you know, me revenue model essentially was based around OU and Texas. And that was why, you know, OU's matchups tended to get picked up by Fox for the big noon Saturday, uh, which is what I'm assuming is happening here also uh, coming into the uh, upcoming season uh, that there, you know, there wasn't there, there weren't enough compelling matchups outside of that, outside of the OU and Texas games to, you know, provide kind of a consistent flow of content for that, that spot. Right. So, you know, again, it's not, it's not necessarily going to be a matter of, Oh, you know, we'll never have to play at 11 AM again. The, the difference will be, there won't be the same frequency uh and we're seeing that now you know with how with uh, uh pardon me we're the same level of frequency that we are seeing now yeah i mean yeah colorado gets uh i think tapped on the shoulder to host its two first games will be the big noon saturday uh games uh, into <laughs> yeah. the season uh so that should be fun for them oh you still uh slotting itself at 11 a.m. on ESPN, which 11 a.m. ESPN is kind of more of their throwaway slot. Obviously, that's mainly because it's Arkansas State (laughs) at that point in time. And, you know, Black Friday, 11 a.m., it'll be a big game. That's a big, that's actually a a quote-unquote prime time type of slot at that point in time. Um, It it just sucks for... um, for recruiting and everything like that. Luckily, you got a was it a two thirty kickoff at Tulsa, so I guess that's nice. Or a five thirty, uh, so I guess that that part's happy right there. <laughs> uh, Brady, I mean, you've done this for a long time, and I don't know if, if you guys were continuing it, but what was it like actually having to set up those damn tailgates for these eleven a.m. games, just nonstop, over and over and over again? I mean, do you think this will be? Do you think this will be help, helpful, knowing that, that that rotation is going to be more varied moving forward? Yeah, I mean, just like Alan said, it's just the frequency of it. And especially it got to a point where you could just, yep, 11 a.m. That's going to be 11. That's going to be 11. And it just zaps whatever fun you can have out of. I mean, Matt mentioned it, like teams come to Norman for the most part of the last 20 years and just get you know their asses handed to them. It's like not only can you expect that, but you can expect it's going to happen at 11 a.m. So it's just oh, the fun just gets siphoned out of it before the games even kick off and before anybody's on campus tailgating. Um, so, but at the same time, like I will say, like I guess this might be a taboo thing to say on an OU podcast, but I don't really mind 11 a.m. games, but the frequency is the problem. Um, Arkansas State, get that game out of the way. Just wake up, kick their ass, let's go home. We don't need to like get juiced up, drunk, all day long and then remember that, Oh yeah, the game that we're waiting for is Arkansas state. 
Like it's just the Nebraska game that should have been at night. Um, like it's just the frequency, the, the opponent and how, Oh, you fans can kind of understand that. Oh, we're playing a road game. That'll be night. Oh, we're playing a home game against a, a, a fairly solid big 12 opponent. That'll be in the morning because TV understands like, let's, let's juice up the opposing fans for the potential upset, you know, get, boost the ratings. Um, oh, oh, he's playing at home against who gives a fuck, you know, just put it at 11, you know, we'll get the most ratings out of that because OU is OU. So that will hopefully go away. The frequency will go, go away. But even if it doesn't, you know, OU fans getting up for Arkansas, getting up for Ole Miss, getting up for LSU at 11 a.m. is much different than Iowa State, Kansas State, uh, Texas Tech, Baylor. It's It would just be a different animal. But, yes, the frequency hopefully goes the hell away. Yeah, and I mean to go back to the art to the, not Arkansas, pardon me, Nebraska thing. Like, you know, that was a case where I think that if OU were playing in a conference with more marquee uh, teams, you would have had a some kind of inventory to trade there. The Big Twelve could have stepped in and said, "Okay, we know you want Oklahoma, Nebraska for this slot, but you know we've got a game between I don't know Alabama and Colorado State or something like that. You know that you know." could probably fill that slot for you and do similar, do similar ratings, you know, or or something to that effect. There's bound to be, you know, more draws that just, that was really what was fueling this. And it just, you know, it's just made for such a kind of lackluster in stadium experience, I think. Yeah. That's my biggest hope is the move to the SEC just improves fan engagement and improves that experience of going to an OU football game. Cause I mean, we, we've talked about ad nauseum so far in this podcast, but it was totally – you show up, you eat your breakfast taco, you go watch the game. It's like you're walking through. And the only drama was was because OU's defense sucked so bad or OU was actually bad last year. That was or just nobody get hurt. Like that – you know, like depending on the opponent, like bad Kansas teams, it's like all you really think of is just please nobody get hurt because yes. that's the only thing that happens from – a game like that that has any bearing on the rest of the season. It doesn't do OU any good to play bad teams like that. But if someone gets hurt, that's like, well, this game actually mattered, unfortunately. Now, talking more about this, uh, the Big 12, which you know, OU is still part of for one more year, uh, they seem to have kind of been regulated to the ESPN Plus streaming network. And I've seen some uh, some talking from other Big 12 fan bases looking at what they've been put on. It's like, well, this kind of sucks. We're not on the mainstream stuff. And it's like, well... That's the contract you signed, buddy. Uh, that said, these times and slots they're getting do seem to be better for the in-person experience, uh, not having to be played at 11 a.m. every single time or something like that. They're getting more night games like that because it's on a streaming platform. Do we think – I'll toss up to you, Matt. I mean, just from a media production side, you know, if looking at these other teams like uh, OSU or Texas Tech and stuff, now they're playing more night games, but it's put on a streaming network at that point in time. If you were a part of that, how would you perceive that? You think it's a slap in the face to the prestige of your alma mater, your school, or are you just happy you're playing more night games? Man, honestly, I think if you ask the OU fans right now, they would be fine with whatever, man. Because like, I think Brady Brady said it quick, but it was I think it was the the very like the most important part of all these 11 a.m. games is that they're all at home. They're all the home games. So, you know, it's hard to get the OU fan base, like, back into it whenever, you know, it's like every single home game. You're like, well, shit, we're waking up early again this Saturday. Like, you know, got to get ready to do this. Like, and to the, the all, I know all the complaints, like, I, I'm not around the tailgating scene or anything like that. So I don't have any gripes of, about that. But I know people have a bunch of gripes about the tailgate scene. But, I mean, I think part of it is, like, even if it was, the game was at two thirty, like you're still having time to not not just drink, but like the camaraderie of like, hey, going to the tailgate, all that stuff. You don't have that much time at eleven a.m. Like no, like credit to the people who get out there at like six a.m. set everything up, they start drinking and everything. That's like that's not me, and I don't think that's like a lot of people. Like hey, if I showed up at noon and we could drink for like yeah, then yeah, I'm not gonna start drinking at like seven a.m. But credit to the people who can. <laughs> Um, so I think that like what Brady said, like all of them being at home is the, 
the real kicker about that. So I think if you asked OU fans right now, they'd be like, we don't really give a shit. Just give us a night game. <laughs> like we don't give a shit what, what channel the game's on, what subscription we have to get. Uh, give us a night game at least for a year or two. I mean, well, imagine if the landscape of like how everything is run nowadays, uh, TV contracts, like time slots, all that conference relationships. Imagine if that was like 15 years, 20 years ahead of where it kind of ended up. 2008 OU Texas Tech that that shit would have been on Fox big noon kickoff and, and imagine that game with how iconic it is for OU fans but it's at 11 a.m. in the morning you know OU might win still it's like that that's the important thing but everything else is probably gone from that moment yeah there's something special to it and, and luckily for you know OU fans the moment they're entering into a league, which will allow them to play more later games, more primetime games, which helps recruiting, helps people get in, you know, it just helps the overall health of the program and also helps the fan bases and stuff. Right when all that's happening, uh, the, the, the school seems to be hell-bent on pushing every tailgater five miles away from campus. Uh, so we'll have, we'll see how much fun that is uh, moving forward as they go into the SEC. But I do want to talk one more thing about the SEC. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Did 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 either y'all did any of y'all see Jimbo like talking about how A and M and Texas should be the protected rival and stuff like that and you know, and then also the little the little spattering of a of sparring back and forth about who should be hosting the next Texas and Texas A and M game. Haven't I mean, they had a chance? Are you, are you guys last, excited? Haven't they had the chance over the last decade to protect that rivalry? And A and M was like, no, no, thank you. So no, now they, they want to. to. Yeah, they have to now. Well, here's the thing, right? Like economists call this cheap talk because you get some benefit out of it, right? You, I mean, mm-hmm. it makes it look like that that they want to take on Texas and they're not scared, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, like OU is going to be Texas's protected rival. Jimbo knows that there's nothing that he can do. I mean, it's, it's just mm-hmm. him, you know, blowing smoke per usual. Right. Um, you know, in in this whole deal about like trying to set the tone, like, oh, well, when we do start playing Texas again, we're going to be playing in College Station and all that. I mean, it's just like, God, these people are so petty, and just I, I I'm I'm honestly disappointed that they're they're going to start playing again because it has been so much fun watching both of those fan bases and in administration just humiliate themselves with how childish and petty they are. I mean, and I love childish and I love pettiness, but this is like, you know, all these kind of uh, wars by proxy, you know, <laughs> like over recruiting or who, who gets more money or who's getting better ratings. It's just, God, you are so pathetic. Yeah, I, I was fully, fully behind uh, the Bomani Jones statement of never play them again, ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems so much more fun having to learn how to like, quote unquote, how they had to learn to play these games on social media, basically. It, uh, uh, for them, you know, it's like, man, these guys are just scrambling. But like, I get Jimbo saying stuff like that, and I get maybe Sark saying, or, or you know, something like that. It's coach talk, stuff like that. What I don't get is, AM's AD saying, like, yeah, we've already agreed they're playing in College Station. And then Sankey's having to come out and say, we haven't agreed to anything. <laughs> Nothing's been set in stone. I mean, that's the part where it starts getting really, really embarrassing at my point in time. The people who are supposed to be like the quote unquote adults <laughs> are just like completely embarrassing themselves at that point in time. But I guess that's what I don't know. I haven't really paid attention to the SEC, like the coaches at that point in time. Like, I think, you know, Eli showed up dressing like Darth Vader because uh, the Florida coach was, did, said something. I mean, I, I guess we're walking into a den of idiots to a certain degree, uh, <laughs> which should be fun. You're getting a bunch of Mike Gundys uh, instead of just one at this point in time. Man, Texas A&M, like, I remember I, remember I did a podcast on Keyhole, I think, in the offseason going into t- to 2021, and I think Wasserman had said that, he did his thing where, oh, Texas is the best job available. If, if every job is available, like Texas is the best job. And we kind of just crapped on that. And then we got on to the Texas-Texas A&M rivalry. And I gave the Aggies a lot more credit. They've won 20 more games against Texas than OSU has won against us. Like they, They've won 37 games out of 76 wins for Texas. And that's with... From 1984 to 1994, they won 10 of 11 games. 
So of their 37 wins, like 27 of them have been sprinkled. And I, I say sprinkled across a series that dates back to 1894. Oh yeah, Jimbo, you want to play them every, like, shut up. You charlatan, you geek, like just get, get bought out, like go eight and four this year and fail. And then they'll replace you with some other dumbass. And it might even be the OC that you hired that with the broken neck. So that that's going to be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the, that's the part that is going to be fun against the sec is there's so much money floating around and these guys just seem to make very dumb decisions. It's they're just money stupid at this point in time. Well, in it, Houston, it's going to be Peyton, fun. In Houston, they call their money yen with Texas A&M, so don't worry about it. Like they've got plenty of it. Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere moving on now to i guess some actual football talk for oklahoma uh, oklahoma gets two count of one two defensive tackle of transfers in dijon terry and philip pia uh, pia pia does anybody know the correct pronunciation i believe it's pia pia oh i can man <laughs> you gave i gave myself two chances uh both horribly horribly <laughs> wrong uh Obviously, this is just OU and Brent, you know, putting the inside of that uh, defensive line to uh, a, a much greater uh, level of emphasis than it was uh, beforehand. Uh, and then you've already you've already got some uh, guys on the team. I think it was what Helton. Um, uh, I think that's his name. Uh, tweeting out motivation. You know, you, you really can't take the California advocate sometimes. Uh, mm. But do we think uh, do we think that these are just like jag guys? I mean, what do they need to be for? these two specifically need to be Alan for OU to have like some level of success here. These are you thinking these guys need to be somewhat impact guys or we're just like, Hey, be replacement level. That's all we're asking at this point in time. Well, you know, I mean, part of it, I think there's some necessity here because it sounds like, uh, OU is going to be losing at least one, uh, you know, a guy on the interior there, just that's the kind of the chatter to a, a medical issue. But, you know, the uh i think with these guys i mean i believe that they both have two years of eligibility is that correct uh, that for, yes i believe so that's crazy for Pia. he started playing in like 2017 like he's going to be 25 years old or something like that but uh, i mean not that i'm complaining um no i think you know getting two years out of them i think is is very important because right now ou is looking very thin up front uh for 2024 I think for this year, um, you know, you got a chance to uh, develop some good depth. I mean, you know, I think that if 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 Paya, if he if it gets to a point where OU really needs to rely on him to play like forty snaps a game, uh, they're going to be in trouble. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, it, you know, being able to kind of cycle him in, or you know, if there are injury issues, you know, down the line where. He has to be more of a contributor. You know, that's a, that's kind of a different story. Um, you know, uh, Terry, again, I, I don't see him as being some world beater or all-conference lineman or anything like that. But, you know, again, I mean, if if he can cycle in uh, behind like Isaiah Coe at the Zero Tech or if he can, um, you know, maybe even play the nose, you know, in like a, a three-down front if, they, if need be. You know, he's a bigger guy. Um, you know, I think that that's a win for OU. No, I was actually watching a, um, it was a Tennessee volunteer, like YouTube fan show right after Dijon Terry committed to OU. And I was trying to really see like, okay, how honest are they going to be? Cause I'm going to assume I'm going to hear the following. Well, he waited until like after spring ball and saw that, you know, there's other, these, all these talented guys that they've been bringing in, like hypo has been getting recruiting up and running and he sees the writing on the wall and he, and he's gone if they were going to say that and then basically trash him because the guy has put up numbers and he's performed, 
Um, if they were going to trash him, I would probably err on the side of, oh, he's actually probably good. And they're just trying to protect themselves as fans from the loss of a key contributor on their defensive line that helped them win. And um, did they win the orange ball last year? They, they beat Clemson, right? Yeah. yeah, they did. Yes. Yeah. That helped them win a, an orange ball. Um, they uh, did not do that. They were very level headed about it. They, uh, they put out like, yeah, he, he was a contributor. Um, he's going to OU. Uh, obviously they probably need a little bit more help. So he'll, he'll have more of a role there than he was going to have here. So, I kind of look at it kind of like, like Alan was saying, like we should expect none of these kids to be like, oh my God, like all big 12 performers just because he played at Tennessee. I mean, the guy started his career at Kansas and Kansas has had, you know, a good history in the last 15 years with defensive linemen. So no shade there, but um, I, I think it's just depth. It's depth that OU needs OU fans. The program itself is in no position to like sit there with their nose up in the air and say, uh, no, 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 we need like world beaters and we're going to wait for that mythical world beater to hit the portal and come here um, because we're still waiting for the class of 2024 to sign on the dotted line. Hopefully that goes the way that we want it to go. But, you know, like I'll ask this question to you guys. Do we expect any of these guys to be as bad or worse or as good or about the same as uh, what was his name? The, the was Jeffrey Johnson, the Tulane transfer last year. And he was he was solid. Like he he wasn't a a bum by any means. He wasn't getting pushed around. Um, but he was definitely a guy that played at a smaller school and got to a bigger, much bigger, bigger school and took some adjustment time. But he was able to flash and make some plays. He even made some plays in the Cheez It Bowl against Florida State. So um if we can expect something out of that, but from two guys, I think that's a win for OU. Yeah, my hope for these two players is not I'll try to word this the best way I can. I don't care about them flashing individual plays. Like I, if I'm seeing them flash, I, I don't. I don't expect to be watching tape, watching highlight videos, and them like breaking through the interior of the line and getting sacks and stuff like that. What I really expect from them, especially in this four down, uh, four down front that uh, Alan and I love so much, um, <laughs> is basically they're in the way a lot. <laughs> they're keeping offensive linemen engaged. They're not, you know, OU's just not being pushed around like that. That's to me, that's the first step. Just don't get your shit shoved in like OU was towards the end of the season last year and able to kind of hold the line of scrimmage. If they can do that, then you've got Stutzman and you've got Kobe McKenzie, you know, Kanek, you've got uh, McCullough, you know, able to fill those gaps and kind of crash at that point in time, especially uh, Pearson coming in from the second level. That's when you're going to start seeing a lot of stuff happening for Brent to really kind of open up his playbook. Um, do I expect these dudes to be like Gerald McCoy, homeless versions, Trash? No, I don't. <laughs> but uh, are they going to be nice, replaceable, uh, rotational players? To me, and that kind of feels weird to say University of Oklahoma, but I guess we, you know, pulse check. It's, it's been this way for a little while on the interior line. Uh, but that's where I'm hoping uh, out of these kind of guys to be able to set that sort of level. Um, Alan, do you think, I mean, do you think that's the, the, the health, the quote unquote healthy sports way of thinking about it? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> We've also got to just be realistic looking at this here. I mean, you know, I went back and looked this morning, um, and the kind of the caliber of player available or, or that has entered the transfer portal on the interior of the defensive line. I mean, there really just aren't that many good ones out there. You know, I mean, the the number one this year with a bullet, I'm sure, was Bear Alexander. But you know, there's a case where you've got a guy leaving from Georgia to go out to USC after one year. Uh, I mean, I, I doubt that Georgia put up much of a fight when he said he was leaving, you know, I mean, it's just, you've got to, you got to kind of be realistic about what's going to be out there from a transfer, from a, uh, you know, kind of a transfer portal standpoint. So in that regard, uh, you know, these guys seem solid, the, you know, but I, uh, again, yeah, like you mentioned, if it gives OU a little bit more versatility, um, you may be able to throw different kinds of fronts out there, or those guys can play a different role than what you saw, uh, OU have last year. Uh, I mean, again, I think, it, I think it's a win. Speaking of winning, uh, OU softball <laughs> continues to roll through undefeated, uh, not undefeated, obviously, but uh, 50 games in here, taking on Stanford, Clemson, you know, Sooner Magic history there. Um, and then completely is taking Tennessee, the Lady Volunteers, and just wiping the floor with them. And, like, it was embarrassing at that point in time. You know, that coach, uh, 
played like their number three pitcher against them. Matt, yeah, you're a softball expert on the show. Okay, I don't think I'm an expert, but I do watch that. Uh, you're you're out there. I saw you out there taking pictures from outside the stadium, so I know you're at least For close sure. to the program. Uh, For sure, Mitt, is has this has this kind of off season uh, postseason gone as you expected? I mean, they've yeah. OU's been pushed around slightly. You know, Stanford was hell holding them down for a little bit. Obviously, Clemson needed a miraculous comeback at the very very end on the last strike, yeah. <laughs> uh, keeping things alive. Uh, has this kind of gone the way that you expected it to go? Um, I did because I knew I knew that Clemson was a good team as far as like the just speaking about the super regional. I, I knew that Clemson was a really good team. I mean, they're probably going to have the national player of the year uh, in Valerie Cagle, um, who's actually the one that gave up that home run uh, at the very end. But uh, so I, I knew it was going to be a test like softball. I, like I've mentioned before, if you have a, a dominant pitcher, that's really good. That can take you a long ways in softball. I mean, just look at Stanford right now. Like their, their offense is nothing to write home about at all. They have like Stanford has like 25 home runs on the year as a team. Like GRA Jennings has like 20 by herself <laughs> like, like this year. So like their, their offense is nothing to nothing to write home about, but man, their pitching is phenomenal. And that's the reason why they got to match up with OU tomorrow, um, you know, to try to go, uh, to the national title game. So, um, yeah, you know, the Clemson, it, it did, it shocked me a little bit simply because it was like, man, they just, it was like, man, they're just going to tie the record. They're not going to break the the winning streak record. They're just going to tie it at 47. Oh man, this is crazy. And then Kenzie Hansen, just one of the clutchest moments in OU history uh, that I can think of. Uh, that was awesome. And then, you know, throughout, Throughout here, like, yeah, Nigel Kennedy from uh, Stanford is one of the best pitchers in the nation. She has the lowest ERA in the entire country. She runs that – she she throws, like, 75, which in softball – I mean, that's like – that's like you're throwing it 105 in baseball. Like, you're – that is firing it up. That is tough to see. And, you know, OU, they, it, all it took was, was one. One little run from OU – they got two runs and that was it because I keep saying this also, you also have to score on OU. You, you can hold OU all you want, but you also have to score on them because Jordy ball was nails was absolute nails. The first inning um, she got into a little bit of a jam runners on second and third. Uh, and then after that, after the first thing she gets out of that jam, no problem. After that, they didn't have anyone get past second base. Like anytime someone got on second base for Stanford, Jordy Ball would come up like, boom, two strikeouts, we're out of the inning, let's go. You know, it, it, it was that was an awesome performance against Stanford. And then Tennessee, dude, like all-time loser energy from the coach at Tennessee, just being like, oh, we have two – we're not even going to pitch our second best pitcher. We're going to pitch our third, fourth, and whoever, whoever the hell else uh, we can throw out there, except for our two pitchers, because maybe we'll see them back in the in the championship series – that's a long effing way to go to try <laughs> to try to meet OU back again. Like you're going to have to, they're on top of Oklahoma state right now, two to nothing, but like Oklahoma state's a really good team. And then they're going to have, they're going to have to beat Florida state twice to get to even have a chance to try to potentially play OU in the championships. I'm like, that's a lot. That's a lot of work to just be like, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we'll try to get into a shootout with them, which good luck, by the way, if you're, if that's your, uh, strategy try to outscore uh, the highest scoring team in college softball so all-time loser energy from the coach she i mean they asked her that's the first game first uh answer question in her post-game press conference was uh basically uh what the hell with the pitching <laughs> and she was like you know what that one's on me like you know we had a strategy um and you know that one's on me well obviously yeah, wasn't we good had a strategy. strategy obviously it was the good strategy what's what's your strategy to beat OU at softball like right, what, is, that's, what is what is that strategy yeah Patty Gasso Patty Gasso took the Mike Tyson approach everyone's got a game plan to get mm. punched in the face it's funny to see Mackenzie Donahue screw up twice that was great yeah they that was awesome to get they just got her out uh they that was important to get her to get her out they did not need any uh, moral victories for uh, Donahue. Well, that was our softball uh, uh, minute or two minutes, however long we go there, uh, corner. Uh, baseball now lost. Going in, yeah, baseball, yeah. 
good good for baseball. They got a Joe C tweet though. They did. He did got a nice pat on the back <laughs> for that one. Um, nice re- rebuilding year. Obviously, that team lost a lot uh, coming into it. I'm, I need to bring it back on the uh, the Oklahoma baseball boys because uh, at the beginning of the season, they talked about how Oklahoma was being disrespected and all this kind of stuff, and they barely squeaked everything in. <laughs> so uh, maybe maybe some homerism was happening on that point in time. Uh, but that takes us to the end of our topics. Um, have we covered everything? Has, has anything popped in y'all's brain to want to uh, chit-chat about before I do some housekeeping? I think we're good. Nope, sounds good. So for housekeeping, guys, remember to uh, support our title sponsor, Vanessa House, down there in Oklahoma City and Automobile Alley. Uh, you may even see Brady. I don't know. Are you still, do you still hit up there as a, like a, a fun weekend thing? Uh, every once in a while, I'll go up there. I don't bartend there anymore. I already got back from my trip to England, so I was just – saving up money, bartending extra shifts. So um, my bartending days are over. But you may see them still. Also, go check out Scratch uh, uh, Kitchen and Cocktails over at uh, Oklahoma City uh, as well as in Norman. Uh, and then, you know, we also got the the good brand, uh, Homefield Apparel. Uh, they hit us up to ask if we could share out uh, the new Oklahoma Refresh. That will be happening on the 10th. Uh, go check them out. Obviously, they've got some cool new designs coming in. Oklahoma is not as a... Uh, the cool fun kid brand as some of the other ones are, but there's still some <laughs> nice, uh, nice historical, um, uh, designs and shirts that are coming down the line. There's a couple I, myself, I've said, I would look at, I cannot say anything yet. Cause we signed the NDA. We didn't <laughs> really just ask us not to say anything. Uh, but go out and support everybody. And then also, if you're still listening to this, thank you so much. Remember if you sign up for the Patreon before June 10th, we'll be doing a random selection for an OU softball that's been signed by every member. Thank you, Davis, for uh, securing that for us. Um, all you got to do is sign four bucks. You get everything in the month. Brady's coming back. That means there's going to be more writing on the Patreon. doesn't mean, you know, you get to just listen to me ramble on about weird stuff. You get to let, listen to Brady ramble on about weird stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we'll all be here. There's going to be more content. Uh, I appreciate everyone who has done it. Thank you guys for supporting us. And as we move on into the future, for me, for Matt, for Brady, for Alan, Matt, take us out of here. Boomer. Sooner. Sooner.